Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Church Online. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you're new to Calvary Church Online, you've joined us in the last of a series that we're calling Fake News. Let me just review a few of the topics. We talked about God helps those who help themselves. Money's the root of all evil. God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, God wants me happy, doesn't he? And a couple other bits of fake news. Now, we don't mean to say that there's no truth at all in those statements. What we do mean is that none of those statements are actually found in the Bible. And what we do, sometimes we take those statements that we think are in the Bible, we believe they're in the Bible, and we wind up twisting God's character so people can reject not who God really is, but an image of someone that God isn't at all. Well, this morning we end our series by talking about a bit of fake news that I'd be willing to bet most of you have heard, and that is, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Now, I know that that sounds like that would go in the Bible, but it's often in the interpretation or the understanding where we often get twisted up. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phone or your iPad, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. I want to read to you a parable that begins in verse 9. The parable is going to be real familiar to some of you, maybe brand new to others of you. We are not going to work through the details of the parable. I want you mainly to look at the two attitudes expressed in the parable. That's what we're going to use to help us understand and fix the fake news love the sinner, but hate the sin. Here we go from Luke chapter 18. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to take the two phrases, hate the sin, love the sinner, and those are going to be our two outline points or our two ways of breaking down the message. Let's start with hate the sin. Now, I probably don't have to tell you if you've read much of the Bible at all. The Bible has a lot to say about sin. In fact, the Bible tells us how sin got started and just in case you didn't understand, the first sin was not an accident. It was blatant rebellion. The Bible talks also about how widespread sin is. The Bible makes it crystal clear that everybody is infected. I know that most of you have probably watched them videos, a map of the world, and how the coronavirus has spread from one place until the whole world was engulfed. But the reality is, not everybody has COVID, but the Bible would say sin has spread to every single individual. 
everybody is infected. The Bible also talks about how damaging sin is. You know, the mortality rates coming from a coronavirus are probably less than 95%, give or take, which means the vast majority of people that get the disease will not die from it. But the Bible tells us sin is absolutely lethal to everyone who gets it, and everyone has it. So sin is a really serious issue, and the Bible has a lot to say about it. So I struggled with how exactly to come at this topic that the Bible has so much to say about, and I've landed on this. I'm going to walk through some vocabulary words, some biblical words um, that are used for sin. And just in case you haven't realized the uh, enormity of that task, the Bible has over like 25 different words for sin, almost like lots of different facets on this black diamond. Every facet tells us something new, something a little different, but it's all under the big category of sin. Now, don't get worried. We're not going to look at all 25 or 30, but I did pick 10, just a, a big enough group to help us see the different perspectives, but at the same time, small enough that we'll be able to get through the message in a reasonable length of time. The first thing, the Bible talks about sin as wandering from the path. You're just kind of walking along or driving along, minding your own business. You don't listen to the GPS. You kind of put the voice on mute. You turn where you shouldn't have turned, and before you know it, you're off the path. That's one of the words the Bible uses for sin, wandering off the path. The Bible also has a word for sin, missing the mark. Now, back in the Bible, they didn't have guns, but they had uh, bows and arrows. Think of uh, going out to target shoot with someone who is notorious at missing the mark. You don't want to stand too close to the target if this guy's shooting because he's not very accurate. Sin is missing the mark. The mark has been set. The target has been set up, but the archer keeps missing it. The shot always goes astray. It doesn't hit the target. Another word the Bible has for sin is broken or crooked. Well, there was a TV series that some of you probably watched, Breaking Bad. I don't think the word sin was used too often in the series, but you see what um, Breaking Bad kind of works out. Lots of sin is described. The anatomy kind of works, it, works its way through the series. We still use that word. That person is a crook. That's broken. The chair is broken. It's no longer able to fulfill its purpose. Your computer's broken. It's no longer usable. Sin, brokenness. It's a no longer usable. Another word for sin is blemish. Now, in the Old Testament, the word would show up. And when someone was coming to uh, the temple to offer an animal, the animal had to be unblemished. It had to be pure and perfect without blemishes. Or maybe uh, you remember back to when people used to go on dates before uh, we were you know, locked in our homes. <laughs> You'd go on a date, and of course, you always got the blemish or the pimple the day you were going on the date or the day before. Now, in the world of um, Instagram and the world of Facebook and the world of Zoom, we can cover the blemishes, but we know that they're still there. Blemish, another biblical word for sin. Then, then you have the word rebellion, rebellion. Um, this is a word that shows up fairly often in the Bible, which is rather different than how we often think of sin. 
We think of sin as, as kind of wandering, even though we don't mean to. We get off the path. We go the wrong direction. We're trying really hard to hit the target, but we miss the mark a little bit. But the Bible says at its heart, sin is active rebellion. It's defiance against God. It's that God tells Adam and Eve what to do. God tells us what to do. We blatantly disregard that. We go our own direction. We don't care what God says. We pursue what we want to do, rebellion. Another biblical word for sin is debt. Someone has a debt. We owe a bill and the bill's coming due. But in the biblical terminology, we don't have the resources to make the payment. We can't make the interest payment. We can't make the principal payment. We are in debt without a way out. The Bible also talks about sin as going astray, swerving, trying to walk on two sides of the street at the same time. Think of a drunken person trying to navigate the line that the state trooper put down in the path as he's giving the sobriety test. The person can't do it, wandering here, wandering there, going astray. That's another word for sin. And then there's lawlessness. And lawlessness brings us back to the rebellion idea, or it gets us a little close. God, the lawgiver, since it's his universe, he gets to say what we should do and what we shouldn't. He lays down the laws or the stipulations. We, with the disease of sin, choose to disobey the laws. God tells us do this, we don't do it. God says don't do that, we do it. That's lawlessness. Another biblical word is trespass. God's put some signs up, some moral signs up around the world, around the universe. Don't go here. Don't go on the grass. Don't go here. When we go there, we trespass. That's another shade to the biblical idea of sin. You ever notice when you're told to not do something, how something inside of you kind of bubbles up and makes you want to do it? Uh, I have a confession to make. When I read that the governor of California put all these signs up where all the California beaches are closed. Nobody's allowed on the beach. There's something in me that wants to fly to California and go on to the beach. Even though I don't particularly like California, I want to go to California so I can go on to the beach. That's trespassing. Another word is impurity. Impurity. Now, I know when I say impurity, you think of pollution, and that certainly fits. Think about all the plastics in our oceans. Think about impurity that you know of. One of the things that uh, comes to my mind, we actually live on Cowpath Road, and we kind of have some frontage there. And uh, my wife has to regularly, as in like every other day or so, go down and clear, the, clear that section of our property right next to the road because people throw trash out of their windows as they drive by, and she picks up bottles, she picks up paper, she picks up all kinds of materials. People are polluting. Here's the biblical idea. Something is not the way it's supposed to be. The word purity carries the connotation of how it's supposed to be. Impure or impurity is something not the way it's supposed to be. Now, uh, just to kind of gross you out on this uh, Sunday morning, uh, I checked out some uh, FDA requirements of uh, what can pass as purity, even though you may object if you knew. I'm not sure if you like apple butter or not. I did discover after moving to this part of, uh, of our state that apple butter really should go with cottage cheese. Wasn't quite sure about that, still not sure about it. But uh, do you know that what is still considered pure apple butter 
if it has four or fewer rodent hairs, it can still be pure. If it has five or fewer insects or insect parts, it can still be pure. Mushrooms, if it has 20 or fewer maggots in a 15 grand package, they're still considered pure. And you can think of whatever you want. We are willing to tolerate some impurity in, in something that we still consider pure until it comes to some issues. How many rotten eggs will make your omelet uneatable? You see, sometimes it doesn't take too much impurity to ruin the purity of the whole bunch. Impurity, another biblical word for sin. There we got 10 words. Let me summarize and just kind of synthesize what those 10 things and maybe a couple other things have to say as well. Did you notice as I was going through the list, and hopefully you were extrapolating a little bit, that sin is a dynamic. Think of it this way, since we're living in a COVID-19 world. Sin is a disease with symptoms. The disease is what infects our hearts. The disease is what infects our priorities, our loves, our values. The symptoms are our actions, our thoughts, our emotions that come from that inside dynamic. There, uh, there's the disease and the symptoms. It's both. Many of you are parents. How many times have you thought to yourself, well, I didn't have to teach my kids to disobey. I didn't have to teach my kids to break the rules. I didn't have to teach my kids to trespass. I didn't have to teach my kids to rebel. What do we do? We lay down some common sense guidelines. We lay down some rules for the benefit of our kids and for our own sanity. Do you have to work at teaching your kids to not follow the stipulations? Heck no. Kids don't follow them right out of the chute. I read a, a little description this past week. Uh, a mother went outside and in their development with their daughter who uh, knew how to ride a two-wheel bike. I think she was like uh, seven years old, six years old. And her mother said, now listen, I want you to only stay on the sidewalk and go all the way around our block. Go around the block, don't go off the sidewalk. Don't go into the street, don't go into another block, just on our block. Uh, this must have been an old school example because the mother then said, if you disobey, you're gonna get a spanking. Not that dude anymore, I know, but this was old. Uh, you'll get a spanking if you go off, off the sidewalk. The little girl said, well, mom, you better spank me now because I got places to go. That's that rebellion. That's that desire inside. Notice the disease on the inside and the symptoms on the outside. Sin is a dynamic. We can't see the roots on the inside. We can't see those values, priorities that are all out of joint and twisted and broken and crooked. But we do see the thoughts that are impure, the deeds of lawlessness. We see the symptoms which tell us pretty surely that we have the disease. You know, another thing that if you take the definitions and, or you take those ideas and put them together is there's both a vertical and a horizontal dimension to sin. There's a horizontal dimension. We sin against other people. We slander, we gossip, we lie. 
Sometimes we are violent, we're brutal. We do all these terrible things against people, but the Bible makes it crystal clear. Even though we can do terrible things to other people horizontally, first and foremost, sin is always a vertical problem. And so David, for example, after he commits all of those sins, adultery, murder, um, deceit, all of the lying that goes on, what does he say in Psalm 51? Lord, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't sin against Bathsheba. He didn't under, sin against Uriah and all of the people that will bear the consequences. What it means is, in comparison, first and foremost, the disease has infected his relationship with God vertically, and then horizontally, the results come. Another thing that those words tell us, and all the descriptions um, that work out in people's lives in the Bible remind us of, is that sin is progressive. It doesn't stay the same. Sin is um, an addiction. So what happens? In the beginning, an addict can say no. In the beginning, he can walk away. In the beginning, she can refuse. But eventually, you practice that habit so often, saying no, turning away becomes almost impossible. So sin is progressive. What starts as wandering just a step or two off the path puts you miles and miles away. What starts out as a little act of rebellion becomes major disregard for what God says, and eventually you're doing things you never thought that you'd be able to do. Now, there's a verse in the Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that probably comes as close to anywhere else in the Bible that kind of sounds like hate the sin, love the sinner. The verse says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now that seems like it's coming pretty close. But if you look at the context, Paul is not saying that we should look around and kind of diagnose everybody else's sin and we should hate that sin. Paul is saying you should look within and hate your sin, hate your greed, your lust, your materialism, your slander, your gossip, your pride. Look within, hate the sin that is inside of you. Now, why do you think the focus would be hate the sin that is in you? Well, because I kind of think that if, um, that, if, that if God were to say, if Jesus did say, hate the sinner, we would immediately look for those people that are sinners and we would hate what they're doing. But Paul says, hate what is evil with a focus on the inside. Well, here's what we're going to do for the next couple of minutes. And I need to remind you at this point that the message is not concluding now. There's actually going to be a short part two that will come after the band leads us in a song. Now, I was reminded to say that to you by Andrew. As we were preparing to record this, Andrew came over and said, now, Charles, you need to tell them that after the first part of the message, there's going to be more. Otherwise, as soon as you end and it's so early, they're going to be happy, high-fiving, rejoicing. They're going to think you're finished. We're not finished. This is part one. It's a longer part. The second part won't be as long. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do.
I'm gonna ask you to think back uh, to those lists. And I'm not sure if you made a list or not. You can think of the categories in any terms you want. Wandering from the path, missing the mark, broken and cracked, blemished, crooked and bent, outright rebellion, debt, lawlessness, trespass, impurity. Now here's what I want you to do. While the band leads us, in the next song called, I Believe, I'm going to ask you to uh, not think of people outside of you, not to think of the evil and sin in other people's lives. I'm going to ask you to uh, hit the pause button and to look inside. Maybe you need to start with some symptoms Symptoms of wandering off the path, symptoms of brokenness, symptoms of crookedness, symptoms of uh, trespass, symptoms of um, going this way when God says go that way, symptoms of missing the mark, but trace the symptoms back to the internal disease. The Bible would say it this way, there is sin underneath all of the sins. And so while the band sings, and maybe you want to join them singing, take inventory in your own life. How do you know? What symptoms are you bearing of the sin disease these days? And would you come and do what the Bible calls repentance? You know, to repent means to turn from. It's not just a religious word. It means you turn, you repent, you turn away from something. Sin and repentance are kind of opposite sides of the same coin. We turn from in repentance. We turn to something in faith. Here would be a really neat exercise for you this week. Take our 10 sin words and think of Jesus as providing the solution to every one of the sin words because that actually is what the gospel is. We've wandered from the path, but Jesus walked the path perfectly and calls us back. We miss the mark, Jesus hits the target and allows us to share in his record. We're broken and cracked, but Jesus remains whole. We have blemishes, Jesus has no blemishes. And Jesus takes his payment of the debt, gives it to us so we're, our debt is forgiven. Every one of those sin words finds a biblical correspondent in the gospel where Jesus delivers us from everything that sin condemns us for. So do a little inventory in the next couple of minutes. Look within, look at some symptoms, repent, turn from those things, turn to Jesus, listen to the words of the I Believe song, sing them in your heart, sing them with your mouth. The words perfectly portray turning from, turning to. Jesus, the solution to our sin problem. Hate the evil that is within us. Turn from it. Turn to Jesus, the solution for it. Well, hopefully, you did a little inventory. Hopefully, the words to I believe are a little more meaningful to you right now because you can understand the the love of God, the mission of Jesus, the work of the Spirit that actually 
forgives us from the power. Yeah? Okay, did I screw up somehow? Oh, no, no sweat. Okay. <clears throat> Hopefully you did a little inventory. And my guess is if you listen carefully to the words of I believe, those words are a little more meaningful to you. You see, Jesus delivers us from the penalty of sin Jesus delivers us through the Spirit, through the, from the power of sin. And one day, we will be delivered from the very presence of sin. The mission of Jesus is to solve the sin problem. So hate the sin, not finding it or looking for it in other people, hating the sin in you, turning from it, turning to Jesus in faith. Well, that's kind of the first part of our phrase hate the sin, but what about the second part, and love the sinner? Well, that surely sounds like that. That should be in the Bible. After all, Jesus tells us to love everyone, love our neighbors, and that would include everybody, even sinners. You read through the Gospels and you discover Jesus was often in trouble for hanging out with sinners. Jesus would eat with sinners, showing that he's willing to fellowship with them. Jesus is forgiving them. Jesus is entering their lives and spending time with sinners and apparently loving them. How in the world can love the sinner be wrong? Well, I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. What I am saying is how we often would define it and use it becomes a problem. I mentioned a few, uh, a few min minutes ago that if Jesus were to say, now, I want you guys to love sinners. Here's what we would all do. We would immediately uh, create some kind of hierarchy in our mind. Or maybe it's not a hierarchy. It'd be kind of an on-off switch. So we would look around for people that are really good and righteous, people that are really bad and sinners. We would then categorize all the good, righteous people in one block, and we'd categorize all the nasty, sinful people in the other. We'd draw a line and we'd say, now Jesus is calling us to love these terrible, sinful people. One thing we would never do, put ourselves in that wretched sinner group. That becomes part of the problem. My guess is we would all put ourselves in the good group. We would then want to look down at those we're kind of despising and judging in the sinner group that's the attitude that Jesus speaks against. Remember from our parable how the Pharisee prayed? Let me read his prayer again to show you the attitude that Jesus is against. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. See, what the Pharisee did is what we're all tempted to do. If Jesus said love sinners, we would then draw the line. We classify all those terrible people in the sinner category. We wouldn't be in that category. We'd be patting ourselves on the back when we did good things or when we reached out in some kind of loving service for the sinful people. Jesus does tell us to love our neighbors, but everybody's included in the neighbor group those that are close to you and those that you just come across, those that you may never meet, but you kind of see faces, you think about groups. 
We are to love our neighbors. In fact, there is one group that Jesus seemingly comes close to despising, maybe hating, that would be too strong. There's one group that Jesus isn't very fond of. They're the judgmental group. They're the religious group. They're the group like this Pharisee. He represents them that categorize people into two groups. They never put themselves into the bad group and they then feel good about themselves by looking down on others and they're going the extra mile as they reach out and care for them. Jesus says, love your neighbor, don't judge your neighbor. And I think if Jesus did, did ever say, love, your, love the sinner, we would be tempted to judge people by putting others in that sinner group and we'd feel pretty good about the fact that we're not in it. One of the things that I like best about the Bible is that even though it has lots to say about sin, all the way from the beginning in Genesis 3 through the end of the book, the Bible's kind of an encyclopedia on sin. We just looked at 10 words. You could pick 15 or 20 more. But sin in the Bible is not the main event. Sin is the problem. Grace is the main event. The main problem with a whole bunch of the fake news statements, God helps those who help themselves. Well, God wants to be happy, doesn't he? I've got these expectations. Jesus should fulfill them. You know, the one thing that makes all of those statements fake news is that they have you and me contributing a major part to our forgiveness and our acceptance with God. Grace is the main event. Sin is the problem. Grace is the main event. Salvation comes through Jesus. That's what his mission's all about. But his mission isn't, he does his 50% and then we do our 50% and that seals the deal. No, it's not even that he does 90% and we do our 10%. No, it's all of grace. We have nothing to contribute. Jesus did it all and does it all. And so the Bible says, sin is the problem. Jesus brings the solution. And then he calls us to continue what he started in loving our neighbors, not judging our neighbors, serving our neighbors, caring for our neighbors, infecting them with love as we speak words of grace and forgiveness and as we live lives turning from sin to Jesus in faith. That's the message of the gospel. It's not hate the sin, love the sinner. How about this one? Hate the sin in your life. I need to hate the sin in my life. Repent from it and turn to Jesus. Love our neighbors. Don't judge our neighbors. Engage them with the love and grace of the gospel as we continue what Jesus started. Let's pray. Father, thanks for these... Uh, last few weeks, of looking at some fake news because, Lord, we often do the same thing. We kind of take a biblical idea 
But we wind up putting so much of our thought, so much of our ideas, so much of our desire, so much of what we prioritize, so much of what we value into it. Before you know it, we've twisted it so that it comes out being fake news rather than real news and true news. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have our antenna up so that when we hear what people say, we're able to know if it's fake news or not. And maybe part of the way we know, we know fake news because it doesn't resonate purely with the grace of the gospel, the mission of Jesus to connect us and impact us with grace so that we in turn can connect with other people and impact their lives and their eternities forever and ever. Lord, help us to commit to that and help all of the cliches of fake news to fade into the background as the real news of the gospel takes root in our lives and produces the fruit of righteousness, goodness, love, and service. We pray in Christ's name.